Take your Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, <clears throat> chapter number 6 is where we'll be. I'll say this tonight, and, and I hope you don't. I'm a crazy man. But uh, the subject that I'm going to be preaching tonight is one of those that I covet your prayers on because I, I, I've heard stories and, and uh, about getting too deep in, in uh, the subject that we'll deal with and uh, just kind of just getting too deep. I'll just leave it at that. And I've, I've preached on several of these things. I've preached on, I'll just tell you, preaching tonight on Satan, our enemy. And um, there's, there, inevitably, there's always a battle after this. And uh, I'm not concerned about that, but at the same time, I cover your prayers uh, that that doesn't affect anything this evening. And so in Ephesians chapter number 6, I just want to read verse number 10 as my text, and then we'll read... Uh, down probably through verse number 18 throughout the course of the message tonight. Uh, but we're continuing on in our, um, our series about spiritual maturity. And uh, I'll say more about that in just a moment. But let's look at verse number 10 of Ephesians chapter number 6. The Word of God says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power. What's it say? Of his might. I need us all to just, just take a minute and realize you are not fighting this battle in your own strength. If you are, you're going to lose. I'll just tell you. And so the Paul, he says that we need the power of his strength. And he urges the church here at Ephesus to do that. And as we, we are nearing the end of this, I, I thought about letting this be the last, um, the last message in this series, but I kind of feel compelled to at least give one more. I saw a meme on social media about the, the, that little furry thing that comes up on the second groundhog, and uh, it says the groundhog saw its shadow, so that means your pastor has six more weeks of his sermon series. And uh, I don't think it's going to be six more weeks, but we may jump into another one. But uh, as we do near the end of this, hopefully you've committed some things to the Lord that maybe you've kind of held tight to your vest. And then some, hopefully, there was the altars were full this morning, and boy, that was a blessing. But hopefully in your own private life, there's been some altars rebuilt. We see that a lot in the Old Testament where they build an altar because God does something so big in their lives. But then as life happens, that particular altar gets torn down. Uh, but then when God deals with them, you think of Jacob. He had to go back to Bethel, and he says, All right, family, all right, people, let's, let's clean up, put aside everything that's wrong. We're going back to Bethel. we gotta, whew, we got to get a hold of God again. And so he went back, and he had to rebuild that altar. So hopefully you've taken some time, and you've rebuilt some things. And, and, and then again, hopefully, prayerfully, however you want to say it, that prayer and, and study of the Word of God has become a part of your daily work. And if I could say it like this, I'm hoping that you yourself see some marks of maturity as we've gone through this. I couldn't tell you, maybe 
Nathan, he keeps up with the messages. Maybe he could tell us what part we're on. I don't know, maybe four, five, six, I don't know. But as, as we've gone through this, I hope that you've gleaned some things and you can learn from him. But I, I, I almost took, uh, added on, kind of like Brother McNeese says, you know, he'll add on a bunch of uh, time to our messages. But I don't want to do that tonight. But just to kind of give you something maybe to study, um, last week I, I taught some some road signs or some some signs on the way to maturity, some some warning signs, and that came out of chapter number four. And he tells us that we need to to uh, walk not as other Gentiles walk, and, and all of this. But then I, I thought about maybe preaching out of verse number twenty three and twenty four, uh, maybe some some things that we could, some signs that do encourage us in our daily walks. Verse twenty three says. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That sounds a whole lot like Romans chapter number 12. By the renewing of your mind. But then he also says in verse number 24 to put on the new man. And so he's given us some things to help us in our, in our walk with Christ. And then in chapter number 5 he tells us how we ought to walk. He says in verse number 2 we ought to walk in love. In verse number 8 he says walk as the children of, of light. In verse number 15, he says, walk circumspectly, walk upright, walk with your shoulders squared back and your head up, walk like everybody can see you and see that you're walking like God walks and like his son walks. And so we, we, can, we can go back if you want to. If you'll beg me hard enough, we'll go back and we'll preach through those things. But tonight I want to deal with this thought, the enemy of the maturing Christian. And, and the enemy is, I mean, you understand, if, you're, if you've lived any length of time, you know what an enemy is. And so this is, Peter says it's our adversary, and we'll, we'll deal with that in just a moment. But, but I want you to know that if you have rebuilt an altar, if you've gotten closer to God, if you're starting to pray more, you're starting to read and, and study more, and you've committed some things to God, I want you to know uh, possibly two things tonight, uh, all surround, all under this. There's someone that doesn't like it. Um, now, sadly, it could be that person on the pew with you. They may not like to see you maturing in Christ while they stay stagnant or while they stay immature. Now, that's sad to have to say, but that is a fact. I, I've seen folks get mad at someone else because of their growth in Christ. Somebody say, oh, me, right there. But then we also have to realize that our enemy, Satan, our adversary, does not like it when a child of God gets closer to his heavenly father or her heavenly father. And so we need to understand that this evening. But I want to try to go as quickly as I can and and still do justice to everything tonight. But uh, the enemy and of the maturing Christians, our title, number one, I want you to see the enemy announced. Now, I've yet to get get comfortable with these glasses, when to just read it from afar, when to put them on, so I may, I may confuse you with them too, but I ain't trying to show out. I'm just trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do. Uh, so we see, first of all, the enemy announced. Let's look at verse number 11. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. 
Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. And so as we see this enemy announced, we need to understand that there is a reality of Satan's existence. You can tell yourself all the time that that's a figment of your imagination, or that's just something that the church people try to tell you to scare you into loving the Lord and all this kind of stuff. And, and I'll say this, um, you, you may be right. If you, don't, if you don't live your life by faith and you don't see things through the lens of faith in God, then in, in your personal reality, Satan may not be real. But I, I assure you tonight that he is. Uh, you may not believe the words that are coming out of my mouth tonight, but I want you to know uh, that these things are in the Word of God. And then you may say, well, that's just a book that a bunch of men got together and wrote. Well, you can believe that, but by faith I believe that every word that's written here is inspired by God Himself. And so and I'm not pulling these facts out of... I love books. I love these old preachers. I, I, I'm not pulling these things out of there. I'm pulling them out of the Word of God tonight. And so these are God's words and... And this enemy has a reality of existence. Uh, we see that the Word of God speaks of the devil many times. Matter of fact, uh, the word Satan, his, his name, it is mentioned 56 times. And the word devil, or the name devil, is mentioned 61 times. Uh, you go back and you think about this name Satan, and, and you know that I like to figure out what these words mean. And, and the word Satan, or the name, it means the enemy. There's not a whole lot of depth there. It just means that he is the enemy. And my, how he has lived up to that name. But then the word devil comes from the old Greek word. And if you've ever listened to Captain Patch, the pirate, or whatever his name is, I can't. What's his name? Is it Captain Patch or Patch the pirate? You've ever, if you kids or you adults, most kids don't know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about, Samuel. And so there was, there was, uh, there was a. Um, uh, one of the episodes that they had to fight Diabolos. Well, Diabolos is the Greek word that we have translated devil. And what it means is prone to slander or a false accuser. Well, that's why in the book of the Revelation we find that he is an accuser of the brethren. He's talking about Satan. He's talking about the devil. We find that he is, he is the enemy. He is the destroyer. He is our adversary. Uh, but he also has the name Lucifer. And, and we need to take account of this name very quickly uh, to know that the, the, the societal view of the devil is a man in a red cape and a tail and a pitchfork and, and he's got horns and, and he looks kind of innocent, kind of goofy, kind of funny a little bit. That is not the devil that we're talking about. Uh, we're talking about a man that can look like you. He can look like something you truly would desire. The name Lucifer, it means a morning star or a light bearer. And back yonder in eternity past somewhere along the line, Lucifer uh, was the light bearer. He was, he was one of the top angels, if not the top, uh, that gave glory to God. Uh, but then he began to have pride and he began to say, I will do this. I will arise. I will make my, I will be like God. And so God removed him from that position of a light bearer and cast him into the pit of hell. And there he took on these names of Satan and the devil. Uh, but I want you to know tonight in, 
in as a maturing Christian or maybe a mature Christian, when you're fighting Satan, I need you to understand, he's not going to be dressed like the boogeyman all the time. He may be dressed like your next door neighbor. He may be dressed like the preacher. He may have a three-piece suit or he may have on dungaree. I just said dungarees. This is 2023. I don't even know what that is, Brother David, but he may have on britches. I don't know. He may have a skirt and high heels. But I want you to know that the devil can show up in many different ways and he can tempt you in any of those ways in any fashion he desires. I want us to know about this reality of Satan. I want you to know that he has associates. He has associates. You find it in uh, verse number uh, verse number 12. He says, Paul is saying, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against, here we go, this is associates, principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now I myself and as well as many other preachers have made the statement that this could be talking about some of our politicians and they may fall into some of those things. But I firmly believe after reading and study this that this is specifically talking about things that you and I cannot see. These are other worldly things that are fighting for our children and for our husbands and for our wives, for our homes, for our churches. These are things that are trying to keep the man that's drunk Drunk, they're trying to keep the man that's on drugs on drugs. They're trying to keep the man that's been clean all of his life. They're trying to get him to the gutter. They're trying to get the woman that's kept herself pure all of her life. They're trying to get her to lay with this one and that one. I want you to know these powers, these principalities, these rulers of darkness, how these things are otherworldly. And that's who we're fighting. Uh, Brother Kurt, you need to understand this. I know you've only been saved for a few years, but he says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So if you look, you've got action on this side, the focus on this side, you've got Brother David. Behind you've got your daddy and Hunter. You've got, you got all these people. We're not fighting one another, and we need to understand that tonight. We need to understand, in, in, in little churches like this, we need to understand that we are not fighting one another. I get sick and tired, and we don't have this issue here, thankfully, but I get sick and tired of hearing about bickering in churches, how they're bickering back and forth about this thing or that thing, about one thing or another, instead of fighting the powers that are beyond the four walls of the church, how they're laying down when it comes to that and fighting within the church. It makes no sense. That's not who we're fighting, but I can promise you this, Satan is in there stirring it up. Satan's in there stirring it up. So we find that he has associates. And uh, we, we understand also that his purpose is your destruction. In John chapter number 10, verse number 10, it says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. But we focus on this fact that he says that the enemy or the thief cometh not but for, to steal, to kill, and destroy. This phrase, but for, it means in order or for the sole purpose of coming into your house and to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The devil doesn't want to be best buddies. The devil, devil doesn't want to be your friend. He wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. And he, wa- he wants to do everything he can to cause heartache. But so many times we make him our best friend and, and we walk around with him arm in arm. 
form. But rather, he is an accuser of the brethren. He is a false accuser. He is the devil. He is our adversary. He is our enemy. We see this in 1 Peter chapter number 5, verse number 8. I want you to notice under this first point that he is seeking whom he can devour. Peter says, be sober, be vigilant. This word sober is not, uh, I guess it could be tied to, to drunkenness, but he's saying you need to be somber. You need to, be, you need to pay attention. You need to have your faculties about you. Be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I've said this before. I say until my dying breath, he does not want to just hurt you. He does not want to make you limp. He wants to devour you. He cares nothing about what's going to happen once he moves on. He wants you utterly defeated, and he'll do whatever he can to make that happen. You need to understand tonight that there is a battle raging constantly. He says there in our verse, uh, he says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities. Right before that, he says that we may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. In verse 13, that we may be able to stand in the, de- in the evil day, having done all to stand. This is not a one and done battle. This is every morning, every night, every day at lunch. Uh, this is when we're at church, when we're at work, when we're at the restaurant, when we're at the grocery store. We need to be aware. We need to know what's happening. Uh, Samuel, I, this just thought came to my mind. Samuel knows a lot about guns, about weapons. Some of you other men do too, and some of you uh, may carry all on your on your body, maybe a a, a concealed weapon, and and I've heard this, uh, especially since all these shootings have happened. And they say you need to keep your head on a swivel. You need to be making sure you're watching your surroundings. Keep your back against the wall so you can see who's coming and who's going. That's what God is saying here through the pen of Paul. He said the devil will sneak up on you and sucker punch you, Jack. And so you need to keep your back to the cross and so you can see the enemy coming. We see number two tonight. I want you to see the... Now listen... Write it down right if you're writing notes. I want you to see number two. The enemy's adversary. The enemy's adversaries. We, we just noticed a little while his associates. But I need you to understand that the enemy has adversaries as well. Can anybody take a shot at who that is? That's us. That's us. Somebody might have said that's God. That's God. That's us. Notice what the Bible says back in verse number 10. Finally, my brethren. He said, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The enemy's adversary is you. It's God. God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But it's you. Notice what he says finally. This means that something remains. Something else is coming. Paul is warning them, I need you to understand. Don't cut me off. When You, you know how it is. You see a preacher close his Bible. You say, whoo, he's about done. Well, that's what's happening here. Uh, Paul is closing his Bible. But right before he does, he uses the word finally. And he says, I got something else for you. Uh, don't give up. Uh, don't stop yet. Because I'm talking to you, my brothers, my sisters, the 
adversaries of the devil. And this is, he says, brethren, this is a brotherhood or an associate, a group of associates. And he says this in, in this phrase. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. How you and I are not in this battle alone. Uh, again, we look around. I don't know how many people are in here tonight. Uh, some I don't know. I just met uh, Mr. Luke's mother. And praise the Lord. I'm glad they're here tonight. Uh, but I want you to know some I know. Some I, I know well and deeply and intimately. Some I don't know as much. But I do want you to know tonight uh, that if you're a born-again child of God, uh, you and I are not enemies, but we have the same enemy, and that's the devil. And we are fighting this thing together. Sometimes we feel like we're fighting it all along. Sometimes we feel like we're going an uphill battle. Uh, sometimes we feel like everybody else has forsaken us and left God and backslid. They're laying down on God. But I want you to know across the globe how uh, there are other believers, there are other Christians uh, that are fighting the devil and they're standing up for right and they're standing against wrong. So honey, don't give up tonight. I'm going to skip the rest of number two. I, I, just, I do want you to know this. The, the military <clears throat> the military has a, a, a saying. It's predominantly heard in the Marine Corps and in the Navy SEALs, but the, 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 the saying is no man left behind. And it's, it's, it encompasses all of the military. I looked into that as I was studying this. And the thing is, Brother Jody... Me and Brother David and Michael and Daniel, maybe some of you ladies, we were all we were all on the battlefield. We got wounded. Society tells us that that's just normal. But what this mantra or motto of no man left behind says, all of us are on the same side. And even though it's just normal, Now, number three tonight. This this will take me just a few minutes, but y'all help me. What time it is? Almost asked Brother David to push that button and tell Siri to tell me what time. I know it was an accident. <laughs> so number, number three tonight, the enemy's attack. We saw the enemy announced, I believe. And then we saw the enemy's adversaries. Now we see the enemy's attack. And, and i got to go quickly here. 
verse number 11, it says that we ought to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So very quickly, I want to describe this wiles of the devil. This is his tricks, his deceptions, his enticements. Now, I've mentioned this before. Maybe someone here tonight, maybe you deal with some temptations with substance abuse or whatever. That, that doesn't entice me. I, I, I'm not tempted by any of those things. So uh, I don't know. Maybe someday the devil might try to entice me by, by that. But, but he knows right now it's really not going to be a big deal. But he does know how he can entice me. And so he's going to use that wile, if you will, that device to draw me away from God. Now, on the other hand, maybe you have some sort of substance abuse in your life. And the devil's going to dangle that thing in front of you every time uh, that he gets a chance in order to draw you back from the closeness that you've just achieved from God. And so it literally is like taking five steps back after you just took two steps forward. Uh, but that's what the wiles of Satan are devised to do to draw us away from God. These are his tricks, his deceptions, his enticements. So the enemy's attack. I want you to know, look with me uh, where we're at, maybe verse number... Um, verse number 14. And I'm going to try to go there. There's a lot that could be said. I've probably preached or taught this. Maybe some of you other teachers have taught in this. So I'm, it's not going to be all inclusive tonight. But I want you to notice this, that Satan will attack the truth. He says, stand therefore. He's already told us to stand. And then he told us to, to, to stand therefore. And at the end of verse 13, he says, having done all... To stand. So he tells us that we need to stand there. But now in verse 14 he says, Stand therefore, but he says, Have your loins girt about with truth. Now I could go several different ways on this. And if you have any questions, I'd be happy to tell you. But he will attack the truth. I just told you a little while ago that as far as I'm concerned, this is true. This is the truth. Um we could go back in the office and we could find some books. And I've given an illustration about a particular book that I have on the shelf back there. He has some very interesting things, but most of it I do not agree with. I keep it on the shelf because it was a gift. I very rarely open it up, very rarely look at it because I don't want to be skewed in my beliefs. But it, it, it can be deceiving. It is not true. But the Word of God is. When all else fails, the word of God is going to stand. In Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. And so we understand that Satan will attack the truth. And so this is God's word. Not only is it God's word, but it's your knowledge of the truth. Uh, and you need to remember tonight that, that there are there is relative truth and there is absolute truth. And I'm not getting into all of that tonight. But I want you to know that God's word is absolute truth. Uh, there is nothing that can oppose it. There is nothing that can disprove it. It is absolute truth. And just to give you a quick example that I've given before, I believe this carpet is red. But some of you that have a more, more keen eye may say, no, that's not red. That's maroon or that's burgundy or that's something else. Else. Uh, all of those may be true, but only one of them can be truth. 
So that is the difference between relative truth, this is my opinion, and absolute truth. You go to the manufacturer of who made this, and they're going to say, no, this is crimson, or no, this is garnet, or no, this is burgundy, or whatever it may be. That is the absolute truth, and this word is the absolute truth. And Satan, because Paul says you need to gird up your loins of truth, he says you need to make sure that you have a steadfast understanding and knowledge of the truth. And I'll say this, whether you believe these words or not doesn't negate the fact that it is true. Girding the loins means at least two things, but I'm just going to give you the one tonight. If you look back in Exodus, um, it was Exodus chapter number 12, this is right before the people of Israel. This was the first Passover, and the people of Israel were fixing to go get out of uh, uh, Egypt. And in chapter 12 of Exodus, verse number 11, God was giving them instructions, and he says, Now you, you take the lamb, and you do this, you do this. But notice what verse number 11 says. He says, And thus shall you eat it with your loins girded, and shoes on your feet, and the staff in your hand. You shall eat it with haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So now we can get confused about what all that means, but two things is going to play right into what Paul is writing here. He says, first, uh, there in Exodus, he says, have your loins girded. So if I can borrow your imagination, imagine those men back in that day uh, that had those long robes, uh, and, and they, if they had to run, if they had to fight, what would they do? They would gird their loins. Uh, they would take a piece of that robe off, and they would wrap it around their waist, and they would wrap it between their legs uh, so that they can quickly run if they needed to, so they could fight without being hindered. And God said, says in his word how that we need to be ready to fight with the truth. He says, having your loins gird about with truth. He said, the things that we are that we are guarding ourselves must be true. We look a little bit further and we see that this robe is tied up and it tells them that they're ready to fight. If you look in verse number uh well, let me, let me back up. You're ready to fight, but I'll say this about the truth. You need to know, and I've said this time and time again, you need to know what you believe, and you need to know why you believe it. And the reason is because Paul said in, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 12, Paul says, For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. We need to be persuaded. We need to know in whom we believe. And we need to be persuaded that God is able to keep that which we've committed unto him against that day. That's speaking of our souls, our salvation. But even still, Brother Stanley, in our everyday life, we need to have a knowledge and we need to stick to it that what we've committed to God, what we've learned from God, the word of God that we've absorbed, we need to trust it. Then we see that he will attack your heart. Look with me again. We're in verse 14. He says, your loins girded about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate is going to cover the heart of a man. You need to understand tonight that Satan will attack by causing pain. Listen to me. He'll cause pain that nobody else can feel. I'll go a step further tonight, Miss Irene. He'll cause pain that nobody else can understand. Actually, we've been telling the 
anyway. You can decide that thing. It's soft, it's, it's formative, it's, it's cute. But when the heart of a man is hurt, the heart of one of you women are hurt by words, by deeds, by loss, by rejection, by um, what is the word, by betrayal. Those things you can't you can't put into words. Nobody else can feel that betrayal that you feel. Satan will attack your heart. But Paul says, if you will, put on the whole armor of God, which includes the breastplate of righteousness. He says, make sure when you're putting on your armor, put on make sure you cover your heart. Listen to this. You have the righteousness of God as your shield. We understand. We've said this recently. We understand that our righteousnesses are filthy rags. But that's not what it says. He says don't put on your righteousness. This is God's righteousness that he's telling us to put on. You may lose your family. You may lose your friend. You may be betrayed. You Hurt may come. But you don't trust in yourself. You trust in God's righteousness. You may, I'll say this a little bit later too. You may ask God why did this happen. And I don't know if there's anything wrong with asking God why. Maybe in the attitude or the spirit that is asked. But I don't think that that little three-letter word is an issue with God. Jesus Christ Himself said, Why hast thou for... I I don't think asking God a question is any issue. But when it's all said and done, we need to trust in the righteousness of God to cover our hearts. When we are hurt, when we are betrayed, when we are deceived. We said this a few weeks ago in James chapter 1, verse number 20. We know that our wrath worketh not the righteousness of God. If they hurt me, I'm going to hurt them. No, remember, you're not fighting them. You're fighting Satan. So you need to understand that first. But also understand that your, your um, retaliation, your revenge, your vengeance, does, that does not work the righteousness of God. Y'all with me? We see next, he will attack our footing. And look with me in verse number 15. He says, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel peace. Now, I'd be the first to tell you, and I told you, told you before, this, this is not a, a full message on this, but there's more to this. But if I can say it like this, we got to have shoes on. We have got to have our shoes on. If you look over in, um, uh, well, it messed my thing up here. But in Psalm 73, verse number 2 and verse number 3, the psalmist talked about his own feet. And he says, but as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. One of those verses that we've read today, uh, farther along maybe, I believe it is, he says we don't understand why we look around, we see others who prosper, and he says that, that they're not molested by this and by that. I want you to know, there's going to be some people that seem to have it all together, 
And they may not call themselves a Christian. They may not live for God. They may have it all together. They may look right. They may smell right. They may sound right. They may dress right. They may have the right vehicle, the right job, all of these things. But I want you to know tonight, it's not about them. It's about your relationship with God, a holy God that expects you to be holy. And he says here, you need to put on the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. He, The psalmist says that my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. Why? Because he had not prepared himself for what was coming. This, this gives us peace even in the hottest part of battle. Whether you're on the front line or whether you're in enemy fire, the preparation of the gospel of peace, this preparation, we cannot miss this phrase, this preparation of the gospel of peace, it's going to fall on us to prepare our hearts. As you sit here and you listen to your pastor, or you listen to one of the Sunday school teachers, uh, that is God giving you, that is God equipping you so that you can prepare your heart for battle. And if you sit there with your arms crossed and your lips pooched out and, and, and you don't pay attention and you wish it'd be over and you hurry out of church and there's no, uh, no way that anything is getting in because you're so hard against the things of God, I want you to know tonight, you're going to face a battle one day and that pre- preparation has not been made and you're going to fall in the hottest part of battle. The provision of peace comes from God's word. We see this, that he will attack your faith. He says in our, in our next verse, verse 16, above all, he says above the, the, the loins girt about with truth, above the breastplate of righteousness, above the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, take the shield of faith. Listen to me. I'm not perfect and I know it. But I had to learn a long time ago not to listen to what everybody said about everybody. If I did that, I'd hate everybody I'd come in contact with. Because everybody's got something to say about somebody. And we find here, he says again, he says, take the shield of faith. Now, this is not, Hunter, this is not the faith that I have in you or maybe that you have in me. This is faith in, in God. We'll allow our faith to intervene here and to kind of override this faith, this shield of faith. And we'll begin to say, well, I lost faith in him. I lost faith in her. I lost faith in humanity. I lost faith in this, that, or the other. And we'll become jaded to people and to things and the need of others. But the scripture here says that we need to take the shield of faith. And what this, what this is, this faith, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen in, in Hebrews chapter number 11. It tells us we can't explain faith. We can't understand, cannot comprehend faith. But we do know that it is trust in something that we can't see. And he says, I need you by faith to take that shield. And he tells us something. He says, take the shield of faith wherewith. Or by that shield, by such, ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. 
So he tells us here uh, that we ought to understand that he will attack our faith. Uh, there is a, and you would know this, there's a Greek philosopher, his name was Socrates, and there's statues and books and articles and, and write-ups and all the pictures and all of this of this man. Uh, but Socrates was known uh, for his questions. And, and as I've understood, they, when, when, when they would go to Greece, they would go to these big cathedrals of knowledge and they would just ask questions. And these were questions that men couldn't answer. But Socrates would, would, would ask the, the greatest questions of them all. He would ask the questions that people would just stand there and stare at him and say, I have no way, there's no way that I could, with my finite knowledge, understand how, what, what, or how to answer that. But, but the thing is, when Socrates began to question, it became known, it became amongst those other philosophers that they ought to question everything. And here's the issue with this form of philosophy of questioning everything. Uh, if you're a Christian, and in your Christian life, there again, there's nothing wrong with asking questions. But if you begin to question everything instead of trusting in God and trusting in the Holy Spirit that's working in you and trusting how the Word of God, then what you're going to find, speaking of philosophy, is you're going to find yourself becoming a humanist. You're going to find yourself questioning God questioning the Holy Ghost, questioning the Son of God right out of existence because that's what a humanist does. They question everything and they live their life with no deity, no God, no spiritual realm at all. It is only man. When he lives, he lives. When he dies, he's gone. He goes back to dust. And a Christian ought not live that way. And the Word of God says we need to take the shield of faith and by that shield we can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And so we, we say this today, uh, that when your faith is attacked, you, you may question God, but I need you to understand this, that Satan knows that we're going to question and he's going he's gonna to put another question on. He's going he's gonna to fill us with doubt. He's going to fill us with with. Wondering, He's going to fill us with all of those things and it's going to result in more questions and more questions until we, we start asking everybody else and we forget to go to God's Word. There's something about these, these shields here. These shields, as I understand it, my wife did a study on this some time ago and I piggybacked off of her study several, several times. But these, these shields, they were, they were made so that they could link together. Matter of fact, I think Brother Samuel mentioned this before in Sunday school, how they were made to where they could be linked together and so that these soldiers could, could link their, their shields together and walk side by side without any darts or without any arrows uh, coming in. And they would do a maneuver. I don't know what it was called, uh, but I'll just call it the turtle shell maneuver. And they would have some uh, there on the front and they would hold it up and so no enemy or no weapons could, could infiltrate that. But then uh, the next line of defense, they would take their shields and they would hold overhead uh, so that even those arrows that were shot, uh, that were coming from above, uh, would glance off. But here's an interesting thing about this. Uh, many of them would cover their shields with leather and then they would soak that leather in water. Uh, and that water would quench the fiery darts of the wicked. 
And God's Word says here that the faith in God would quench the fiery darts of the wicked. But what we do is we find ourselves not getting in the water of the Word. We find ourselves not having the shield of faith. We find ourselves not putting on the whole armor of God. And when those fiery darts come, we're struck from behind. We're struck from above. We're struck from belief, uh, from, from beneath. Uh, we're struck in one place or another, and we become uh, damaged in the line of duty. I was on the way to church tonight. Brother Tim Rahab said that he preached out of Galatians chapter number 6, and I'm assuming it was verse number 9. Uh, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I want you to know tonight, uh, if we will continue in this work and not get weary and hold up that shield where we need to, hold it steadfast in front of us where we need to, uh, make sure everybody's shield is sunk down in the water of the Word uh, so that when those fiery darts come, uh, collectively as a church, as a body of believers, uh, we can fight this battle and we can get through with no casualties of war. Your shield may be just big enough for you, but I want you to know your shield may help save somebody else's life. May hook them things together. It's not just one shield. It's a whole, and I think you called it something. I can't remember what you called it. But they have those shields that may be ten people wide. But you know how many people are behind it that those things are saving. Your shield may save somebody else in this place tonight. So don't give up on God. Then we see that he will attack the mind. The Bible says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He'll attack the mind. It's been said for years now that that the mind is the devil's playground or the devil's workshop, however you may want to say it. But I wonder maybe if if Paul might have got wind of that. And so he wrote there in Philippians chapter number 4. He wrote in verse number 8 and verse number 9. He says, now if the devil's going to play with your mind, he said, maybe I should give them a little bit of ammunition. He says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, Whatsoever things are of a good report. He says if there be any virtue and if there be any praise. He uses the word think. He says think. How do you think in your mind? What is under attack? Your mind. He says if your mind is under attack, think on these things that are pure. Think on these things that have virtue. He says, think on these things. He says, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me. He said, do those things and the God of peace shall be with you. You say, I don't know what to think on. I think back to Sunday school. Think back to vacation Bible school. Think back to your devotion yesterday morning. I think back to the word of God that we heard in song and in testimony this morning. I think back to this message of the word of God. The Bible said again, y'all better help me now. The Word of God will help us if we keep it in our minds. Worry and fear and doubt, they're all part, a product of the mind. The helmet, the helmet, he says, of what? Salvation. See, without salvation, you don't have all of this. The helmet of salvation brings with it a weapon. Truly, in the text here, we see that there is only one weapon, and that is the sword of the Spirit. But he says that this sword of the Spirit is the Word of 
God, I didn't think to write it down, but the Bible talks about that word of God being as a two-edged sword. Sharper than it. He says it can cut a sun. It can cut going. It can cut coming. Even to the dividing asunder of soul and mind, spirit, whatever it may say. The Christian that wears this helmet, he's going to arm himself. And he's going to secure his mind. The Bible says in Psalm 1, 2, it says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, in God's law, doth he meditate day and night. Now, I know we've got a bunch of different personalities here. We've got a bunch of different uh, uh, professions, I guess is the right word. People work different places. And I understand you can't be, uh, Ashton told me about him praying for somebody the other day uh, while he was at Chick-fil-A. And he said customers was wondering if he had something wrong with him. People, and, and he was, I think you said you had your eyes closed or something, was just kind of, uh, you know, mouthing a prayer. And folks was worried about him, Brother David. I worry about him too, and it ain't even seen that. Now I realize you can't, you drive a truck, you can't be closing your eyes and driving at the same time. That ain't a good idea. But I believe that we can meditate on God's Word throughout the day. Can I ask you a question? You don't, I don't want you to answer. But I need you to think about this. How are you going to meditate on something that's not the Word? How are you going to meditate on something throughout the day if, if you've not opened it up? And, and I'm here to tell you, I, I'm not telling you to go read, read your Bible every month. I'm not telling you to read all, all 66 books in, in, in the course of a half a year. I'm not telling you that. But read a little bit of something. Out of God's word every day. Hide it in your heart. Scripture says that we need to hide those things in our heart. Why? That we might not sin against God. So, just by way of conclusion tonight. Brother David, if you will, or Samuel, somebody, don't matter. You get a song of invitation tonight. I want you to know, I, you know, I preached a series some a couple years ago about the, the giants. Facing the giants. And, and in that, one of the very first ones was that the enemy is bigger and stronger than you are. You need to know tonight that Satan is bigger than you are. He is stronger than you are. But I want you to know that God has already made the way for victory. The Bible says in Romans chapter number 8 verse 37, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that's Jesus Christ that loved us. He's already fought the battle. He's already won all. He, he has won all the victories that will ever need to be won. And you and I are just in these skirmishes. And we'll come out bloodied and we'll be bruised. And we got broke this and, and, and broke that. But honey, just keep on fighting. Don't give up. As you mature, as you, as you grow, uh, you need to understand that your encounters with the devil may become more intense. You may fight him, Brother Jody, on day one after being saved. You think, whoa, that wasn't too bad. But if day one had to fight after 20 years with the devil, well, that day one Christian, they might fall. I think that's where the scripture that we, we get... God will not put more on you than you can bear. I think that's where that comes into play. I think he knows our spiritual maturity. And God allows a Satan to go only so far. 
because he knows what we can and what we cannot handle. If we can learn now, if we can grow now in the Lord, if we can equip ourselves to stand, then when the time comes, we can fight. Hunter, through this, this whole passage, he says, stand, stand, stand. You may not have faced it yet. Fight's coming. You might have been fighting uphill both ways. You might have been fighting today. You might have fought as you come in the door tonight. But can I encourage you tonight with a broken heart? For whatever reason, I feel like somebody's on the verge of quitting. Can I ask you tonight, will you just, will you just keep on going? Don't quit on God. He's not going to quit on you. Don't quit in this fight. The fight's going to continue, but you look around you. You've got other brothers. You've got other sisters that are ready to take up the fight with you. Or they'll take up their sword or their shield, rather, and they'll fight alongside with you. Or they'll put you in the background and keep you safe while the fiery darts of the wicked are coming. But by faith in the Word of God, they are continuing on. Amen. 